He'll come back for the second. India have won the test match. India have won the series. They're going to get back for two. India Hello and welcome to a new episode of the 81 All Out podcast. This is Siddhartha Vaidyanathan at Sidvi on Twitter. And uh, I'm joined by my co-host today, Ashoka, who is ABVAN on Twitter, uh, familiar to all the listeners of uh, 81 All Out. Hi, Ashoka. Welcome. Hey, Sidvi. Nice to be here. Great to be here. And today we are joined by two special guests um, to talk about uh, Australia's historic tour to Pakistan that just concluded recently. Australia hadn't gone to Pakistan since 1998, uh, so they went there after all these million years, um, had a great time, finished off on a winning note in the tests, um, you know, had a, an enthralling one-day series, and then uh, wrapped up with a victory in the T20. To talk about that, we have uh, two journalists who were on the tour, uh, I'm, I'm sure won't forget it for a very, very, very long time. Uh, we have Adam Collins, who is a journalist, broadcaster, writer, uh, host of the famous podcast, The Final Word, with Jeff Lemon. Hi, Adam. Uh, great to have you here. It's wonderful to be on your show. Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you. And uh, we also have um, another journalist and broadcaster, cult hero, rediscover- <laughs> rediscoverer of Patrick Patterson. I mean, I can just go on. But yeah, in short, Beastie Boy on Twitter, works for Crickbuzz, but does so many other things. Hi, Bharat. How are you? Hi, hey, hey, hi, Siddhartha. Thank you for having me. And I, I have another uh, major title: someone whose Hindi passes off as Urdu allegedly in Pakistan. So I take, I say that with a lot of pride. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Yeah, then, then you have really arrived because uh, I remember back in 2006, I went to Pakistan, and uh, you know, my my Hindi, Urdu, everything was so pathetic. So even I just had to say a word and they're like, oh, you're from India. Great to have you. (laughs) (laughs) I think the only difference is you were representing India. I was representing Australia. So even if I had spoken Tamil, they would have accepted it. That's the only difference. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, great to have both of you here and uh, uh, to talk about, uh, uh, you know, once in a lifetime tour, I'm sure for you. But uh, let's let's talk about the build up and, uh, you know, the the constant uh, will they, won't they, the security issues, um, you know, and of course this came like after the ashes. So, you know, there was the whole hype of the ashes that was happening and everyone talking about that. But in a historical context, you know, as much as ashes has its great value, but this had something even more of history going for it, wasn't it? Yeah. Talk a bit about the buildup and how things were with the uncertainty. Adam, you can go first. Sure thing. Look, I, uh, the expectations were managed down so low with Australia visiting Pakistan, not just because of the 24 years, but perhaps more so because of what happened with New Zealand and England last year, just to refresh the memories of your listeners. The New Zealand team pulled out due to a threat to the broader squad, which we later learned to be something online, uh, you know, something unsavoury, but it was sufficient for them to consider it credible and pulled the pin having already arrived in Pakistan. Indeed, it was the, the morning of the first one-day international. So it was quite abrupt and it wasn't long after um, the Taliban's takeover of, of Afghanistan. So there was a sense that, okay, we came really close to having um, cricket back in Pakistan full-time, but this was going to set it back. And inside the same week, England's team uh, pulled out uh, of going. It was the men and the women scheduled to visit. Uh, and instead of uh, going there, Owen Morgan's team uh, preferred to mostly stay at the IPL uh, in Dubai. Uh, there were no security considerations. They cited um, 
in effect, some tired boys who couldn't be bothered um, to go on a four-day tour. And at that juncture, my expectations were that, well, there's the fig leaf. If New Zealand and England have pulled out, um, CA, who have a pretty dreadful record as global citizens, travelling not only away from home but also hosting teams in Australia. It's been uh, 2003, back to 2003 since the last time that Australia hosted Zimbabwe and Bangladesh for test matches, for example. Uh, The number of times they've pulled out on Bangladesh in various ways and even what happened to South Africa last year during the COVID period, it meant that I don't think that any of us really thought it was going to happen in Pakistan And then Nick Hockley became the full-time chief executive of Cricket Australia. And and it felt as though he he came into that position with a determination to make it happen. And maybe, uh, and Bernat will have a view on this as well, but I think because the reputation of Australia being so low at that point in what I referred to before, uh, there was a need to correct that. And the corrective was going to Pakistan and in one fell swoop, uh, looking like the best global tourist in the world suddenly. When New Zealand and England pulled out, I personally thought now Australia will definitely go because uh, the only reason I say that is uh, it looked so at that point improbable that they would go that you started believing that maybe they will end up going. Like, you know, Australia now have no option but to say yes uh, because everybody expected them not to go at all. I mean, like Adam said, people had given up. Uh, People had had already started talking about maybe that series will happen in the UAE. Surely Australia Mm. will find enough reason not to go. And also a big difference between the England and New Zealand tours to this one is this was a full month-long tour, all formats. Uh, And then you thought maybe they might, you know, uh, narrow it down to a one-day series, uh, one week in one city, fly in, fly out. But when they continue to say that, no, 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 whatever happens, we'll keep uh, we'll make sure we'll keep our date. We'll go and we'll play all formats. Uh, yeah, you started actually believing in it. Uh, but then the ashes started, and just hearing some of the murmurs from the players in the nets and all, I again lost lost faith because uh, a lot of the players didn't seem too keen. I mean, no, they were so non-committal. Even Pat Cummins in press conferences, whenever it was brought up, he wouldn't say. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we would love to go. Like, they would keep saying, yeah, we, you know, our security team, security team is there. They'll give us our updates. Uh, we'll look at it. But, like, you know, they were so non-committal. So, then you started feeling maybe they won't go. But, yeah, once that test squad was announced, and it's funny, right, Adam? Like, even after the test squad was announced in those full strength, uh, people expected dropouts. Till the last minute, till Australia actually landed there. And, uh, you know, all the players, maybe that's why they started posting pictures on social media. Steve Smith lying on the bed, uh, strange uh, first arrival uh, picture I remember on Instagram. Maybe to just tell the world that, yes, we are indeed here. It's not It's not uh, a rumor. The Australian team, full strength <laughs> Australian test team has landed in Pakistan. And that's when we yeah, believe yeah. it. It's not like a faking of the moon landing sort of hoax conspiracy theory <laughs> tinfoil hat stuff. Yeah, I think the moral of the story is that, uh, you know, if in, if the palms and the Kiwis do something, the Aussies can't just follow them. They have to do something <laughs> different, right? So they, they can't, they have to, they have to show the superiority there. It, it brings me, you know, it takes me back actually to uh, 1996 during that World Cup when the fears were around Sri Lanka and how Australia and West mm. Indies boycotted. I mean, they didn't go to Sri Lanka. They had to forfeit that game. And how back then I'm imagining the sort of the cultural difference between the, the the subcontinent and Australia would have been considerably vast. I mean, you even had Mark Taylor making statements like, 
you know, uh, it, this doesn't happen in our part of the world. And so mm-hmm. we have, we react differently and things like that, which seems like from a different age almost, because now we know that it happens in all parts of the world and that it's not like only one particular region that is, uh, you know, uh, that is uh, responsible for this. So, yeah, I mean, culturally, and even for you uh, too, I mean, you know, growing up, your view of Pakistan might have been vastly different from what your view of Pakistan as a country is today. Uh, but yeah, perception of Pakistan, yeah, I mean, uh, I grew up in Bombay and, uh, uh, you know, uh, it was all, it wasn't anti-Pakistan, but they were kind of uh, built up as uh, I can't put it in any other way. It's not nice people, like people who would look at you as an enemy. I mean, so uh, that fear factor was always built up around them. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you a story. In 1992, when the World Cup happened, and if you remember, the song was like, who will rule the world? And I mm, remember, yeah. uh, you know, just uh, playing cricket in my building. And when Pakistan won, uh, just singing Pakistan will rule the world. And a lot of people got upset with me. Like I was just a seven-year-old child. But just even singing out Pakistan will rule the world meant like, you know, people would jump or jump on you. And, uh, you know, there would be all these stories in Bombay. Uh, there's a suburb, Adam, in Bombay called Kurla, not far too far from where I grew up. And there would be these stories that, oh, like, you know, uh, the, the cops are always around Kurla when Pakistan and India play. Because every time Pakistan win, there are firecrackers that go off in Kurla. So there was all this negativity built around Pakistan and how, uh, yes, we were one, but they're very different. Like, you know, they will look at you suspiciously. They won't want you there. And even though it, India did tour there in 2004 and 2006, uh, those were different times. Like, you know, you guys were welcomed with both arms. The, the, the buses were going back and forth from Delhi and Lahore and all. Like, you know, that that was a different era. Uh, but 2022, uh, <laughs> considering that while I was applying for my visa, Imran Khan was tweeting about how it, it was three years since he had taught India a lesson at the border and all that. So as someone with an Indian passport, I was like, okay, what am I getting myself into here? Like, you know, <laughs> those, it's, it, it's inevitable that those thoughts did get into my head. Uh, but I was just curious, I, having met a lot of Pakistani people, really nice Pakistanis in cricket as like, you know, journalists and cricketers, you kind of knew that it wouldn't be so much on a one-on-one basis. Uh, nobody's going to like, you know, look at you as the enemy. But just what would it be like once I left the hotel and walked on the streets? So these doubts were there in my head, I'll be honest. Uh, but, but they just like went off. Like, you know, the moment I landed there and the, once I, you know, the classic immigration official, which we who we all used a lot in our copies, landing copies, uh, just how friendly and helpful he was, despite being suspicious of my visa to start with, uh, kind of told me that, yeah, like once I enter Pakistan, uh, it's a completely different country to wa- how it's built up. Yeah, and to sort of pick up on the start of your, your point there, Sid, uh, the cultural piece around 1996, I think that's a really interesting uh, moment in time. I made a documentary a couple of years ago called The Final Frontier, an audio documentary on the greatest season that was podcast feed with Dan Bredig and, and Shannon Gill. And what we tried to do was, was get to the, the nub of the rivalry between Australia and India. And the truth is, until 1996, there kind of was none because they'd seldom played against each other for the previous decade. There's the the tie test in 86. There's the bilateral series in 91, 92 to Australia when the Indians felt like they got a really rough run of it with the umpiring and all the rest of it. There's the World Cup later that year, well, later that summer. Uh, and then there's really nothing apart from a one-off test match in Delhi in 1996, a little bit of limited oversphere, but not an awful lot until they start playing each other consistently in 1998. And the reason I raise that is that there was an, an otherness to, to the subcontinent as a whole. Uh, 
It wasn't about Pakistan, India, or Sri Lanka. There was just a sense of that's a very different place, uh, and I and I couldn't possibly understand that very different place, for I am an Australian kid. Uh, so that's changed as the cricketing landscapes become more homogenised and. Uh, touring and will never probably entirely appreciate the impact of the IPL in the relationships between players and brilliant bilateral series like 2001 and Sri Lanka winning the World Cup in 1996 against Australia um, and Pakistan being frequent visitors to Australia all the way back from World Series cricket days. Uh, and, and when they had the World Series Cup each summer, Pakistan were in Australia all the time. So even though uh, th- there was a sense of being familiar with the players, actually being familiar with the country, different thing altogether. So for me, visiting Pakistan, um, I had a sort of an abstract academic understanding of what Pakistan would be that was governed by looking at, I suppose, old vision and the recent matches that have been played there. But having been to India and Sri Lanka and Bangladesh, I had no comprehension of how different Pakistan would be one way or the other. And as Badat's already pointed out, upon arrival, you are treated uh, uh, with the most extraordinary hospitality. Even before I landed, I popped a tweet up saying I was flying to Islamabad and I was bombarded with replies on Twitter saying, you are, you know, this is the country of hospitality. You are going to be treated so well. And, and so it was. We were, um, we were from the minute we landed to the minute we took off, uh, treated exceptionally well. Um, I never felt remotely in danger. And that included when Bharat and I um, went walking up to the Zainab market in Karachi when there was a protest going out the front around Imran Khan, building TV cameras everywhere, um, you know, in the middle of, in the thick of things, right in the thick of things. It, it was more that people were greeting you with, how I felt anyway, with a smile, knowing you were probably there as part of the cricket tour. Uh, and in turn, they wanted to welcome you because the, the the more cricket they can have played in Pakistan, the better. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the work that uh, people like you and Bharat do are often underestimated. But in cases like this, I think it's extremely important for people like you to go there, to experience it, to write your reports, to talk about it on your podcasts, on your shows, because that is the bridge between what is happening and what people back mm. home are listening. I mean, in the 1980s, you spoke about that time of otherness, I mean, it was, that's why people like Mike Coward, uh, you know, the, the mm, doyen mm. journalist who covered those to India and Pakistan are so valuable because he was there to document what mm. was happening. And, you know, people, the achievements of people like Alan Border, early Steve Waugh, Dean Jones, uh, all these achievements might have been totally lost, if not for people like Mike Coward and uh, the uh, ABC Radio Tours and everyone else actually bringing out what was happening. I mean, honestly speaking, I think Alan Border is a bigger legend in parts of Madras in Chennai than he is in parts of Queensland. And that's because people in <laughs> Chennai really, really sort of revered what a great batsman he was. And Pakistan, you're talking about Pakistan. Some of Alan A.B.'s greatest innings came in Pakistan with the, there's that the test tons. in Lahore. Yes, yeah. twin tons in Lahore. And I would even argue that one of Australia's greatest one-day achievements was that semi-final win in the 1987 World Cup, where they Absolutely. just yeah. beat the yeah. favourites, Pakistan, in Lahore. And that I don't think that victory has got anywhere close to uh, the sort of uh, prestige that other Australian wins have got. So I think yeah. writers and journalists are so important in this process. So let's come to uh, day one, Adam. I mean, you were there. Uh, Bharat was still trying to figure out whether he could be there. Uh, talk about that, the sort of getting to the stadium, the build-up, the, the yeah. 
uh, whole anticipation and also we'll get to it later the jolt at the end of the day with the news about uh, Shane Warne yeah yeah that's right so i mean we'd been there the previous couple of days to set up as you do so we knew what we were walking into physically but uh, the the heightened security on morning one um you know it, it it can be quite jarring seeing that many machine guns and that many kalashnikovs mm. i mean it, it's a it's just not something you condition to uh, even though you know they are there to protect you and and others who are there to to be at the cricket it still is jarring so that's a, a striking memory of being uh, all rocking up to the Royal Pindi, Royal Pindi Stadium on, on morning one. But then as soon as we were through the security checkpoints and walking around the ground, wh- where we entered at Pindi was a long way from the press box. So we had a, a bit of a chance to take it all in. We took a photograph with the with the group, realising it was an important sort of historic marker. It was a very hot morning. Uh, and we knew it was Friday prayers that day as well. So it would be an un- unusual sequence of the sessions with – 90 minutes before lunch, 150 minutes after lunch with 60 minutes in the middle. Um, so we kind of were, were taking in all that information. And there was this overwhelming sense of this is what it's all about. This is why we're here. Uh, and even though that wasn't a particularly eventful day of cricket from memory, it was 2.45 for one at the close. Um, but Imam getting to 100, I mean, he played a lot of cricket against Australia. Yeah, he made um, a really important 70-odd on the first day of the series in Dubai, but then uh, four years earlier, but then really struggled uh, in in 2019 in Australia. But I feel like we'd seen a lot of Imam at the World Cup white ball cricket as well. Um, to see him, um, you know, get that in that familiar prayer position upon reaching three figures for the first time in Test cricket, um, and Azarali uh, doing likewise. Another player who, who we'd seen play so much over the journey, um, having uh, made his Test debut against Australia in 2010. So even though it was a a notionally relatively bland day of cricket, I remember us leaving the stadium and just being absolutely chuffed. We were buzzing to a person. Uh, we were just like I, I, everyone, it, it, you know, a lot of cynicism in sports journalism, a lot of cynicism. Uh, I, I suppose it's natural when you work in this industry to be, uh, to, to downplay things and to be a bit too cool for school. Um, but there was none of that that evening when walking back around that long walk back to where the cars were. We were just like, that is bloody special. That might be something. This might, you know, who knows when this might happen again. And we've been part of it and we've seen it. And the, uh, the, the, you know, the call to prayer late in the day when we were leaving the ground, hearing that uh, bellow out across the, across the stadium. Uh, and then we got in our vehicles and when we were uh, about two-thirds of the way back to the hotel, um, yeah, as you say, the the, the extraordinary um, news, extraordinary for all the wrong reasons, news came through that Shane Warne had passed away. Uh, and I remember being in the car with Tom and Jeff and Tom was on Twitter filing something. In, well, he wasn't on Twitter. He was filing something in the car, just a, a, some um, some quotes, I think, from memory. Uh, and I was next to him and he goes, he goes, fuck Warne, he's dead. And I go, what? And he goes, yeah, Will McPherson tweeting, look at this, Fox Sports. He showed me and Jeff didn't hear me. And I'm like, draw a gape. And I said, and Jeff looked around. They go, Shane Warne's dead. And Jeff just didn't believe it. Jeff was like, nah, that can't be true. That that must just be. And we're like, no, 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 Will's quote tweeted Fox. It's Fox Cricket. It's a, it's a statement. It's like, it, this has happened. And the next 10 minutes were the longest 10 minutes as we just were like, I don't think barely a word was said really. Tom managed to send out the first cut of the story for the Sydney Morning Herald from the back of the car. Uh, and then 
I suppose from from a news perspective, the behind the scenes, he was up all night writing and um, and managing the blog and all the rest of it. And we were all doing uh, different work through that night, but yet the, the contrast from the the sheer joy that we all felt at seven pm to the desolation and despair that uh, that 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 dominated um, not only the rest of that night, but the rest of that week, really. Um, you know, it wasn't a great test match. And, yeah, there was a chance to celebrate the life of Shane Warne, but most of it was just, uh, it, you know, unable to believe that such a massive presence in Australian and world cricket had died. And it just happened to be um, coinciding with a, a day of uh, significant history uh, around the world of global cricket. Yeah, Bharat, you have uh, stuff to add. I mean, you had your own uh, sort of uh, uncertainty going on with the visa and then you had Shane Warne. You, of course, had to react to that. You wrote a piece and you did a lot of things around that. So, yeah, I want to talk a bit about that moment. Yeah, I mean, I remember, like, so I just finished watching uh, the first day's play on TV, uh, debating whether I should write on Imam or not. Like, like, like you said, still fighting the uncertainty of whether I'll be there or not. Uh, like mixed feelings, right? You, you were... Like I, I could hear, I was listening to Essie and uh, Adam on radio and you kind of feel like I could have been like, like, you know, will I be there? Like, you know, this test is gone. So mm. I'd given myself time till the second test. If I can't get there till the second test, then it's, it's up in the air. And Adam and I had spoken about, you know, doing commentary together in Pakistan. I remember during the Sydney test, we yeah, had like yeah. this. So uh, that's when Pete uh, Lawler had tested positive for COVID and we were in the same commentary yes. box. So Adam and... <laughs> we were we uh, were locked in a box for a day. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. And that was the SCG uh, dinner night. So everybody else was outside having beers. They would leave beer outside the room and Adam and I would just like just the two of us. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, all that emotion was already like built up. And I remember... Uh, pulling up my laptop and uh, I found this beautiful intro for Imam Haq. So, you know, as any journalist, I was very happy. I was like, okay, I mean, this will take me half an hour now. Like I watched some of his interviews and all, put down the intro. I was like, uh, you know, then I just took a break. You know how it is, you've done with the intro, you want to do something else, go on to Twitter. And uh, I saw the Fox Cricket tweet and I literally just threw my phone away. Like, you know, you almost felt like, because... Uh, earlier that day, I'd done some TV work on uh, Rod Marsh passing and I had very little to do with Rod Marsh. Shane Warne, of course, similar to Adam, you bump into him in the press in the press area, the media center. Uh, and, you know, I've had, I had a few conversations with him, random conversations, mostly about how both he and I would get excited that there would be no day four in a ma- match. Like that was pretty much the crux of most conversations I've ever had with Shane Warne. Coming back to the series and in Pakistan, uh, you know, uh, Shane Vaughan, of course, the, the the cloud over that death was going to be around for a long time. And I'm sure it still is hard to believe that he's gone. But uh, Adam, let's get to the cricket itself. I mean, we've been we've seen um, quite a few years now of uh, bowler dominated uh, matches. A lot of cricket around the world has been, uh, you know, we, people have been saying that we are living in the bowler, bowling era now for a while. And then with that in mind, to then see the, the way the first test panned out. I mean, the second and the third test had their moments for the bowlers. I mean, had glorious moments for the bowlers. But the first test was almost like, we will make sure that this is the revenge of the batters kind of match, right? I mean, it just they just batted and batted and batted. So how was it like just watching that live? Yeah, it was a bit of a throwback. I mean, I, I, I'd forgotten what it was like to watch cricket like that in the flesh. Jared Kimber's done a lot of good work documenting the era of the seam bowler from about 2018 onwards, if I recall correctly. And 
we're conditioned to seeing test matches finish prematurely, not um, end with hands shaken on day five at the earliest possible uh, time in order to uh, get out of there and get out of dodge. And you felt like bowlers were, 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 well, the probability of a team taking 20 wickets inside five days with the usual rhythm and conventions of test cricket was never possible from about about halfway through day two. Just hmm. thought this, this is never going to happen. Um, so with that degree of inevitability added to by the fact that there was a bit of rain about on morning four, I think it was, where we missed a session, uh, it was like we, we kind of knew that from there it was about the marginal gains that they might be able to take into the second test match. Uh, how many overs can, you know, you get into the opposing teams, fast bowlers and, and that kind of thing. And Pakistan ended it so well, uh, 236 for no loss, on the final day with Shafiq making his first test hundred with Imam completing twin tons with, you know, it got to the stage where Pat Cummins just had to bowl um, Travis head and, uh, and I mean, Usman Khawaja bowled at one point to avoid putting any overs into the legs of himself, Stark and Hazelwood. That's not much of a test match. In fact, the main takeaway was gee, Nathan Lyon against Pakistan averages 50 plus um, you know, it's been his bogey side over the years with the, with a couple of notable exceptions. Uh, and maybe uh, he's going to be under enormous pressure at Karachi. And so it turned out to be, he, he fought back well, uh, in Karachi uh, at the very death of that test match and then was instrumental uh, to winning the series at Lahore. But, um, you know, Pakistan did a good job at denting his confidence at Ralpindi on that final day. He only took one wicket for the entire test match. And yeah, it felt at that juncture like we, we could be trending towards um, a, a, an absolutely disastrous series because there was just a, a bit of a nagging sense that this was orchestrated. I mean, Ramiz Raja said words to the effect of they were never going to give uh, a sucker and even break when it came to the Australian quicks. They weren't going to present to them anything remotely like the conditions they prepared for England, uh, not least at Hobart to finish the series on a, on a green top. They were going to go the other way and ensure that their batting lineup had the best possible chance to, uh, to neutralize Australia's threat uh, with their, with their big quicks. And, and so they did. So yeah, I, I think we left Ralpindi a little bit anxious that, um, gee, let's hope that this improves and let's hope that the surfaces permit uh, will allow for more competitive balance between bat and ball because if they don't, as good of an experience it is being in Pakistan and the history after 24 years and all the hospitality I've referred to already, um, it'll it'll start to very quickly diminish as far as the, the story we can tell unless the cricket improves and, and thankfully it did. Yeah, and, and, and at this point of time, I mean, I was... Um you know, I have to, the, the final day, I mean, the final innings that Pakistan played, they, they were 252 basically for no loss. And Imam made uh, 111. I'm looking at the scorecard. Abdullah Shafiq made 136. And I was watching, I'd never seen much of Abdullah Shafiq before. And, you know, I saw a bit of the strokes that he was playing. And this context of this match is like, the match is dead. You know, the match is gone. But here's this really beautiful batsman, batter, who is like trying to, you know, there's a certain uh, sort of visual uh, pleasure in watching a player like that. And it was hard for me to reconcile what is going on here. I mean, I'm, I'm admiring this, but is it even, what is the meaning of this? Did you have that bit of bizarre thoughts as well? <laughs> well, I could certainly appreciate what we were saying. Um, look, in summary, the Shafiq story is a, a wonderful one in that he played one game of domestic first-class cricket. He was rushed into the Pakistan A-team. He played two games there, made 100 at the first time of asking. 
Then he's playing test cricket, averages 70 in his first series, walks out against Australia, rattles off uh, a chanceless 100 in the second dig. I mean, after the the 96 he made, I think it was 96 he made at Karachi in the second innings, I'd sort of declared there and then, um, you know, uh, Pakistan have had um, Yunus Khan as their leading run scorer. Well, you know, Barbara Azam will be their next man to 10,000 runs and Abdul Shafiq will be the one after that. Um, you know, prove me wrong. Uh, he seems so good, so organised behind point. Um, wrists like Lakshman threw him in wicket. Um, I mean, a, a, a sturdy defence, uh, can bat for hours. The fact in, in that Karachi innings, he batted for nearly 300 balls and hit six boundaries. Um, and then he can you know, go the other way and, and accelerate like a, a limited overs cricketer. Um, he seems to have um, all of the all of the clubs, all of the tools. And yeah, he's going to be a, a massive fixture of our cricketing lives for the next generation. You're a brave man, Adam, to make a prediction about a Pakistani cricketer. But yeah, that's 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 uh, we'll we'll watch out for that. I'm sorry, and, and I'm hope... sorry for your I'm sorry for your Indian listeners to say this. If but in all probability, they'll never play against Abdullah Shafiq because he probably won't end up in the white ball teams. And the probability of Pakistan playing India in Test cricket during Shafiq's career is regrettably next to zero. So you got no concerns there. <laughs> yeah, uh, Bharat, uh, you did write a piece about uh, Shafiq, uh, maybe multiple, but uh, there was this very interesting conversation you had with his dad. You want to elaborate a bit on that? Yeah, I mean, I'm with Adam though. Like we uh, were on air for most of uh, Shafiq's innings. It felt like every time mm. Adam and I were on together, Abdullah Shafiq was batting, and we were impressed. Yes. Like he could play shots all around the ground, uh, and yeah, I mean, it was one of those classic uh, stories where I got. Uh, hold of his father who lives in the UAE and for me the most fascinating thing was uh, how little his time he spent with his son uh, because uh, uh, I think I started the story with how uh, he uh, Shafiq was three and his father would visit him once every six or seven months because he moved to the UAE um, uh, to do some coaching he's a former first class cricketer Shafiq Ahmed's his name uh, and he walks home and this he sees his son with a plastic bat, apparently playing some shadow practicing some perfect front foot defense and, uh, you know, hitting cover drives and all that. And he asks his wife whether she'd been like sending him for cricket coaching behind his back. <laughs> and the wife says, no, no, I actually bat him, bought him the plastic uh, bat just yesterday. So I don't know where he's picked it up from. And the father, proud father was... Uh, convinced that cricket does run in our blood because his brother has played some one-day cricket for UAE. Uh, I think Arshad Ali is his name. Uh, even made a half century against Bangladesh. He said it's 41, but we'll, we'll count it as a half That's century. That's Shafiq's uncle, right? Yeah. Shafiq's uncle. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, uh, and yeah, and then he just, he was convinced that this kid is made for the big league. Uh, but still, he never had that overbearing uh, parental uh, kind of uh, an approach to Shafiq's career. He stayed away because literally he was staying away. So they would meet each other once every six months. He would uh, uh, never ask for anything. So the father would only bring a, uh, bring a lot of new balls for him so that his son never ran out of, uh, you know, balls to practice with. Uh, and, and it was like a sweet, like, you know, story. And the dad kind of uh, watching him from afar and how he has never seen a single ball of uh, Abdullah Shafiq live. I mean, there are a lot of parents who say that, but this guy is genuinely like, he wouldn't know what has happened to this son. He's only watched his son bat in highlights. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, thankfully for him, Abdullah Shafiq is such an attractive batter that the highlights package is 
like you know make him look even better than it would if he was to watch uh, an entire abdullah shafiq inning so uh, no it, it was a sweet little story uh, uh, which i did but uh, just on like the first test itself i was i landed there on day 5 watching it on tv uh, said i just told myself this cover it like the ranji trophy because like the one thing uh, like adam said for him it was a throwback to how test cricket used to be like the hard grind i spent 10 and a half years of covering cheteshwar pujara making a triple 100 karuna <laughs> making a triple 100 jadeja making triple 100 rohit sharma making triple 100 and the game is just like you know Uh, and you train yourself to write about the same thing in a different fashion somehow so it's funny even during the test series i would walk into the press box from the commentary box you'd hear like other australian journalists say oh, what do we write today and like no no big deal like yeah you just something will come to you at the end of the day because that's how ranji trophy cricket is and uh, to a large extent so is sheffield shield cricket uh, especially in adelaide where pitches don't do much uh, mm. the game doesn't come alive till till day 4 and that's why every time adam and i spoke about what was happening i kept telling him the same thing don't worry like you know the games come alive in this part of the world very very late in the uh, late in the day or like you know late in the test match and we've seen so much of that growing up in india right like test cricket was unless it was england who came in the 90s or some uh, like a uh, country from like an australia or in england uh the pitches were flat i mean india sri lanka test series would like you know go into well into day 5 like crowd of runs used to be scored so we were kind of used to it so for me it was like a throwback in that sense yeah i mean if you if you are going to um, criticize what happened in this uh, series with respect to the pitches then you haven't seen the premadasa stadium in 1997 <laughs> sri yeah, lanka made much. 950 runs <laughs> and a lot of us watched that this match and we had tears in our eyes and we were like are we ever going to live after this what is happening i i so, came back from school for 3 days asking have has mahanama got out i know jaisuri is not getting out yeah i know jaisuri is not getting out this week at least has mahanama got out so let's <laughs> somewhere that partnership is still going on it's right? going on shulkarni is still it's... waiting for a second test wicket i'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> exactly so so yeah i mean i think that's the other issue right like now if you look at the rawalpindi test now the way you think about it you know there's a much more like a historical angle that comes in this was the first test australia played in for so many years they there was such a you know overwhelming historical context to it but in that moment and when you're writing the end of days report or when you're commenting on the end of day it's so easy to say that you know this spells the death of test cricket or something so drastic which is not at all true i because think uh, we have to also celebrate uh, the other two draws that happened in the west indies so march <laughs> was a ma- month for draws <laughs> oh yeah 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 the yeah, bats the, the, the batters finally yeah, they, of, uh, they yeah, could they came cash back. in Yeah, if not for yeah. India Sri Lanka, I think this would have been like a Renaissance month for batsmen. It, I think India Sri Lanka ruined it by having like two day tests and three day tests. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, yeah, it would have been a great month. Uh, I I have a, a, a slight different point of view from both Adam and Bharat because I have no dog in this fight in this whole series. I was just a neutral, and I had a choice of watching either India Sri Lanka or uh, Australia Pakistan and. having two laptops one for work and one personal laptop i just open it on the background it's just a very therapeutic thing to you know watch uh, a test match cricket on mute and especially when nothing is happening because when the bowlers get a chance and the bowlers that there are going around in this circuit across most teams you can't afford to have the therapeutic experience i think your heart starts pumping at like 150 miles per hour and and especially if it's comments and stark right going full tilt 
uh i think if if that were to happen my work they would have been ruined so thankfully they were plugging away i mean they were not giving anything else uh that is something that we need to acknowledge because sure they didn't find much help but uh, keeping batsmen under 3 in this pitch for like 150 overs of course they gave up in the second innings but first innings i think they didn't give much away in fact i think uh, shafiq and uh, Imam had to attack Lyon because there was no runs coming from the other end. Hazelwood didn't give anything away, nor did Cummins or Stark. So they had to use their feet and come down. And I think Shafiq gets out in the first innings, trying to force the issue. So I think Australia did all they could do on that pitch on day one and day two. It was just you know <laughs> unfortunate <laughs> they they didn't get anything out of it. So you're suggesting that an alternative therapy is like watching Imam and Abdullah Shafiq back. That's like <laughs> no, I'm I'm suggesting <laughs> I'm suggesting the therapy is Azhar Ali. That is the solution. Watch Azhar Ali back for seven hours. All your mental problems are sorted. I think you'll reach eternal calm and peace in life. All right, all right. So as the listeners of eighty one all out know, Ashoka is the arch contrarian at all points, and he has uh, made that contrary point here as well. Uh, <laughs> Let's move on to Karachi, which was, uh, you know, the scene of the second test. Uh, Karachi, of course, being um, again another historical cricket venue, national stadium in Karachi has so many stories. I mean, it was the fortress for Pakistan for many, many, many years. And uh, you know, England have this went there and won a match in the dark. I mean, they pulled off this chase in the dark, and it looked like uh, Pakistan would lose another match in Karachi, given the way Australia. went ahead in that game but they held on and uh, that was that would have been quite a dramatic scene so yeah adam want to start with that test and uh, all that happened before and into it yeah yeah sure just some brief thoughts about karachi with it uh, well yeah as you say a fortress of sorts that they lost two test matches there ever uh, the first was the as you say in the dark with uh, graham thorpe in, in 2000 so I think there was an expectation that it would be a very tough test match to win for Australia, whereas Raul Pindi, it was more about, well, maybe this will be the surface that's most mm-hmm. likely. That was repudiated by what was dished up. So Karachi felt like a higher degree of difficulty. But what an amazing cricket stadium. Um, what an amazing place to be um, with the colourful seats that I that I that were so striking on television when I was a kid growing up and then uh, and then in the last couple of years and As Bharat said to me, it was like when he was growing up, uh, grounds that he would go and watch uh, the Indian team play at. Uh, so there was a there was a sense of it being um, a proper special cricket ground initially uh, when we were there beforehand, and then we were in this wonderful vantage point on the balcony, just above where the players' balcony was, which meant that we could look directly down upon them as they went on and left the field. That was really quite lovely. So we were able to correspond with the players more in that setting than in any other real. Uh, well, that was the best chance we had on tour because other than that, it was just Zoom calls, and we know how how difficult it can be to conduct a conversation with a cricketer on a Zoom call with countless other people. So that was lovely. Um, Australia, the Test match itself was similar to Cardiff in two thousand and nine, in that uh, they made a lot of runs in the first innings, a lot of runs in the first innings, then bowled out Pakistan cheaply, uh, and then it was the yeah the third innings of the match where. 
Uh, Pakistan were able to hold on despite uh, having a victory target of you know roughly 550 and five and a half sessions to bat. And the way that they did it, the control from Barbara's arm, the missed chances from Australia, uh, that made and even the late twist with Nathan Lyon picking up two wickets in two balls and the drop catch from Kawaja off Rizwan, the Rizwan 100 against the grain of play to start moving through the gears. I mean, I'm rattling through it now, even though it was a draw and a lot of the cricket played was tough, hard cricket, it'll it'll go down as a, a test match for me anyway that I feel privileged to have been at. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, while I'm totally accepting of the criticism of the Rawalpindi pitch and the match there in terms of just the spectacle, Karachi was anything but boring. I think it was a gripping match throughout and the way the, that Pakistan held on for those two days in the final and then towards the end when Rizwan got to the 100 towards the end. I mean, there was a, such a emotional strain there. Yeah, Bharat, your first full test in Pakistan, I'm imagining, uh, watching your first full yeah. test. Tell us a bit about Karachi and uh, your experience. Yeah, I mean, um, Karachi is where I landed and people generally say Karachi is a lot like Bombay. And you kind of get a feeling of why they say that because of the way the traffic is. And uh, it's it's a very linear city. So uh, everything is straight. Like, you know, you'd land at the airport and uh, the first thing they ask, like, you know, I got into the hotel shuttle and they said, uh, what time's your flight out from here? And I said, like, it's in the evening uh, or it's in the afternoon. Oh, leave two and a half hours before your flight. And that I felt like at that point, I felt like I was back in Bombay because in Bombay, nobody speaks about distances, right? It's all about time. How, all about how much time. time it, yeah. It's always about time. Um, and just like, yeah, I mean, it was kind of surreal being in, uh, uh, you had to keep pinching yourself and telling yourself you're in Pakistan. Like, you know, it felt like, it still felt like I'm back home in India. Uh, I think the first thing that you realize is that the fact that 90% of the men are in Salwar Kameezis, which is which is the main difference you find the minute you land in Pakistan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Karachi itself was... Uh, we went out, uh, uh, Adam and I went to Zainab Market, uh, and uh, uh, we also did go to the Karachi Gymkhana, which is next door to our hotel, which is where, like, you know, plays such a big role in the history of Pakistan cricket because they famously beat the MCC in 1951, and that's what got them test status. So Adam and I went and met this uh, photographer, like the, this legendary photographer, uh, called Iqbal Munir, who used to literally travel with the Pakistan team and stay with them. Like he was Salim Malik's roommate during the 1992 World Cup, which is kind of bizarre when you think about it. And he brought these two books that he got printed alongside, I mean, along with him. One was called An Eye on Imran. So it like was uh, some incredible pictures of uh, Imran Khan, like intimate, like him sitting in his uh, in his bedroom in London and like, you know, uh, just some intimate moments, the side of Imran Khan that I don't think many people have seen. So that was one book. And the other book was all about the 92 World Cup. He, he tracks the whole journey, like, you know, from the warm up games to the final or he starts from the final and goes back. And there's this amazing picture of Salim Malik just sitting on the windowsill uh, in their hotel and from and you can see the MCG lights. So, and then he explains the, uh, uh, I don't know what it said in the caption or he told us the story. He said, it's 3 a.m. after like, you know, the night that Pakistan have won the World Cup and Salim Malik still can't believe that they did it. And he's just sitting there and watching the MCG lights, which haven't been turned off. So some 
beautiful pictures like that and he just walked us around classic uh, colonial era gym khana like you know much like the cci uh, there's a squash club and uh, uh, like the great janshir khan and jahan jahangir khan they all came from that club so it was quite uh, uh, you know a, a good morning for adam and i just to walk around the pitch and by that time already the pitch was uh, you know the main focus uh, of most conversations because i remember watching the next like i uh, happened to do most times before the game and david warner and uh, steven smith were uh, trying everything they could to like you know scuff up the pitch and the the discussion between them was whether the pitch uh, would uh, the karachi pitch would play like pune or whether it would play like bangalore from 2017 david warner was convinced that it would be bangalore uh, nobody asked me but i said no nah, i think it will be like pune and then steve smith seemed very convinced like he generally is whenever i tell him something from behind the net <laughs> so uh, so they really uh, expected this to be a short game where the ball would start turning square from very early on so that's why australia were very happy to win the toss and uh, to bat first uh and i remember on day one another memory i will hold very dear to me is there was a 19 year old impressionable kid who was carrying a poster where he like uh, which is dedicated to me sadly oh. <laughs> sadly <laughs> so he even even drawn like two caricatures of me he like gone and downloaded two pictures uh not very complimentary pictures i should say from the internet and like he'd drawn uh, like you know two caricatures and he called me the king and all that so he messaged me and he said i'm bringing like this poster for you which is kind of funny so i did go during the tea break to meet him um and uh, there were other people who just came and spoke to me and one of them said like i said sir will this pitch even break up because australia looked in command on day one of course one quaj was batting beautifully uh, and the old guy said uh, everything breaks up in karachi and i thought i i remember coming back and telling adam my intro is done for the day like you know like you know that's <laughs> yeah. the first you used it too i remember i did <laughs> i i waited four days to use it because it didn't break up <laughs> so uh, and i used it for babar azam and you know and and that that's what so the australians really expected the pitch to uh, become more and more difficult but it really didn't and and as well as pakistan batted and i'm sure we'll talk about the babar azam innings but it 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 really didn't offer the kind of assistance that uh, they the spinners expected yeah so uh, at this point uh, you know adam needs to take off he has uh, an important uh, thing coming up in a few minutes so yeah thanks so much for joining adam and uh, yeah we we'll, uh, any closing comments before we continue with bharat Yeah. yeah, well, look, it, it just that you, you're going to move on to Lahore, which will always be a special city to me. Um, in fact, I think they all will be. Uh, I, I look forward to getting back to Pakistan as soon as I can. Um, you know, I, I had what will probably go down as a life-changing experience in Lahore when I was involved in a in a dreadful car accident. And I'm fine, by the way. For listeners who don't know the story, I mean, you can you can listen to it elsewhere. But the point being is that I think for some people that might be a a hurdle to clear about remembering the positives for me it's the very opposite I, i view that as something that could have happened anywhere and even in that moment of strife and it was strife when things could have gone either way um with all the confusion and chaos of that moment that my first experience of pakistan were that people had my back and were looking out for me and wanted me to be safe and happy and experience their country and proud of their country and that's my last memory as well that when that awful thing happened when we were on the way to the airport the instinct of everybody around me uh was to support me uh which was enormously appreciated 
Uh, and that was the same everywhere uh, from the moment we arrived till the moment we took off. And I hope that many other journalists and many other fans get the chance to visit Pakistan um, and not just from Anglo nations either. Like, you know, I joked about it before that Abdullah Shafiq will never play test cricket against India. I do hope that, and maybe I'm being overly optimistic here as a, uh, as a sort of a, an outsider to the conflict, but I truly hope that, uh, that all nations can visit Pakistan, including India and vice versa, because um, it is something that uh, it is something that w- was a precious experience after so long uh, and one that I look forward to replicating in the future. Uh, and I hope that the visit that I make next to Pakistan won't be a novelty, that it'll be, it'll be part of the schedule. It will be routine that as cricket journalists and as people covering the game, that going to Pakistan is exactly the same as going to New Zealand or going to India or going to, to South Africa. And hopefully uh, our visit there, and by our I mean the, the, the entirety of the, the Australian delegation who went, um, will have helped in some small way uh, normalise that. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Thank you for joining. And thank you so much for also making it to Pakistan and documenting what you saw and what you felt, and what you experienced. I'm sure that people will refer to it many years down the line and understand what a historic moment it was. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, so, uh, so Bharat, uh, two things about the Karachi test to uh, you know, catch on. One is, of course, the uh, debut of uh, Mitchell Swepson. Uh, you know, more uh, especially coming after the Shane Warne news, it was almost like the passing of the baton, the new leg spinner coming in. A uh, lot of hopes for, uh, uh, a lot of thoughts for Australians about leg spin and a lot of hopes for him. So let's start with that and then let's, of course, move on to the great spell of reverse swing that uh, Cummins and Stark put together. Almost an ode, as you wrote, an ode to Wasim and Wakar mm-hmm. in the land of reverse swing. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, and the thing with Swepson is that uh, I've just been fortunate to see a lot more of him than uh, a lot of other Australian journalists have, purely because uh, they had the Sheffield Shield hub uh, in Adelaide in 2020, 2021. Uh, and also Queensland ended up playing quite a few matches here uh, during this summer as well. So I have seen a lot of Mitchell Swepson uh, bowl long spells for Queensland, win their matches uh, late in that uh, you know, on day four against South Australia, against Tasmania. So I kind of knew what kind of bowler he was. And I did have, uh, uh, you know, I wouldn't say doubts, but I wanted to wait and see uh, whether he could have the kind of impact on those pitches with his style of bowling. And in that little press conference he did with us, uh, I remember asking him about that as well, about his change in approach from the bowler he was. And he said that Shane Vaughan was the one who asked him to slow down um, his approach uh, but at the same time, start bowling slightly quicker. So he did start bowling flatter so that he would get more control. So I was I wanted to wait and see if that kind of leg spin would uh, pay dividends against Pakistani batters uh, uh, on a pitch which wasn't breaking up and which was really slow. So there was so much time for the Pakistani batters to just uh, adjust even if there was turn. Uh, and I thought he bowled well in the first innings. Uh, he got Babar Azam out. Uh, a very good first wicket to have in test cricket. Uh, and he finished off that innings after the reverse swing happened. There was just so much pressure on him going into day five, especially. And the first spell you could see he was so nervous. He barely could land the ball. He bowled a lot of full tosses. And I think that kind of crushed his confidence. And he came back well in the second session. 
But, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. Two catches were dropped back-to-back balls at silly point and short leg, which I've never seen happen before. Like, Manus Labushain's right hand and Travis Head's right hand back-to-back. And then, of course, that late drop of, uh, you know, where Usman Khawaja just let uh, dropped a C easy catch while wearing a helmet at short cover. Uh, maybe it might not have mattered. Like, Pakistan just had to see out three overs and uh, they still had Hassan Ali to come and Shaheen Afridi and uh, uh, Noman Ali was looking pretty solid. Uh, but yeah, it could have, you know, turned uh, his way as well. He could have been a match winner on debut, but it wasn't to be. And I thought, like, I wasn't personally too surprised that uh, he didn't, like, you know, have that uh, immediate impact that everybody expected, especially it was also an emotional expectation because of Shane Warne, like, you know, the test match being played within just a few days of Shane Warne's passing and the influence and the impact that Shane Warne had had on Mitchell Swepson's career, he'd always backed him. So, uh, it was slightly disappointing for him. Uh, and I did fear whether, you know, his test career would be stalled and Aston Ega would be brought in for the third test. Fortunately for Swepson, it didn't happen. But a good thing about Pat Cummins' captaincy that came through was he kept backing Swepson. Uh, unlike in the, the Lahore test, where he actually didn't go to him at all on day five. Here, he kept backing him and, in fact, even gave him the last over. Uh, so, and I asked, remember asking Pat Cummins that he said that with Swepson in that spell, he felt like every ball could take a wicket. So that was high praise coming from his captain. The one thing you noticed with the Karachi square, well, it was barren. It felt like you were in Rajasthan somewhere. Like, you know, it was just the pitch and it was so barren that you knew that there wouldn't be reverse wing. And uh, what you realized with the, the Australian first innings, which lasted, what, two days and two and a half days, really, was the danger period was between over number 20 and over number 40. When the ball was still hard and it was reversing. Uh, because there was reverse wing later as well. But you could see it didn't have much of an impact. And uh, that's why Usman Khawaja's innings and the way he batted on day one in that middle session was really uh, important for Australia and also told you at what level Usman Khawaja is batting right now. So I was very crucial. I mean, in the bigger picture that maybe that session where not many runs were scored might not get spoken about as much. But that really set the tone for reverse swing. And, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately for Pakistan, they looked solid in the first 20 overs. Uh, Imam and Abdullah Shafiq looked comfortable. But then Imam made that one mistake. And I remember making this silly comment, but uh, uh, people liked it, that th- the reason why we lock our doors in India and Pakistan is you never know if you leave it ajar what will come through. And that's what Imam Ulhaq did by stepping out to Nathan Lyon and playing an unnecessary shot. And he was caught at mid-on. And the timing was perfect. You know, the ball had just started reversing and he thro- threw his wicket away. And the next over, if you remember, Pat Cummins bowls this beautiful in-swinging yorker to Babar Azam. And immediately Pat Cummins realized that it, this is the time. So even though Lyon had taken a wicket, he uh, takes him out of the attack and brings Stark in. And yeah, I mean, then, like I wrote, it was an ode to Wasim and Wakar and Shoaib Akhtar. Like, you know, it was almost like that Shoaib Akhtar spell to Dravid and Tendulkar in 1999. It was just unplayable uh, reverse swing. Pakistan did not help their cause. Azhar Ali chased one uh, in one over, like was lucky not to get out and played a similar shot in the next door of Stark. And that just opened the door again. And then Stark was just uh, 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 like, you know, unplayable. And uh, see, it's also been a great period for Mitchell Stark. Like he played all five Ashes tests. Not many thought uh, he would be the fast bowler who would play five, all five. Uh, and he's become a, a more uh, confident bowler. Like, you know, with the 
bowling at different stages as well. He, he seems to prefer playing under Pat Cummins, the fast bowling captain as well, you could see. Um, and that spell was just uh, something else. But the beauty was what Pat Cummins was doing at the other end. Like, you know, we've seen reverse swing, the full slinging action coming wide of the crease, left armor, the full ball reverse swinging. But Pat Cummins was getting it to go um, off a length uh, at, to, to the extent that you thought he was seaming the ball. And we were fortunate to have Wakari Yunus as part of our panel. And I remember asking about, like, how is he able to seam it? And he was like, no, that's not seam. Uh, the beauty of Pat Cummins is he's getting it to go so late that despite the ball not being very full, it's just reverse swinging in the air and then just going on in that direction. And that was just the the balls he bought, uh, bowled to Mohamed Rizwan to get him out in that innings. Uh, just, I mean, you could just look at it uh, in isolation and think maybe he's bowling at the Gabba or at the Adelaide Oval. And that's how brilliant Pat Cummins is. And I'm sure we'll talk about him in detail later. But it was just magical bowling. And, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, and as a lot of Pakistanis will tell you, fast bowlers win your test matches in Australia, in Pakistan, not spinners. And that spell really justified it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think we are going to talk about Babar. I think, but Stark is the one who paved the way for Babar in a very roundabout way. If not for that collapse, I don't think we would have seen a, a, a lengthy Pakistan innings. But that one passage of play, thankfully, uh, I had my laptop on for that when <laughs> when Imam played that stroke and he got caught at mid up mid on and then something was happening and then suddenly you see Azhar and Babar feeling their way. It was not like the first test when they were so calm and they were relaxed and you'll get to 20, 30 and then 50. Chala ho jayega. This, this was mm-hmm. like they were trying to fend things off and they were trying to, uh, the, they were missing the ball by like centimeters. And then I thought, oh, something's going to happen here. And then it happened. Babar, I mean, sorry, Azar chased wide one to, I think, Cameroon Green in slips. And then Fawad Alam got, a, I mean, a screamer uh, uh, with his technique. And start, start bowling right to his legs, where his legs would be if he were in a perfect batting position. That is like a, that is a superb delivery that he got. And I was, and at that point in time, there was this feeling that because Fawad Alam didn't bat in the first test. I, do, I don't think he got to bat at all. In the second test, when this was all happening, that was my first thought. As he was walking to bat, I was like, oh God, he's going to get a Yorker, probably. Because... Because of his stance and the way he comes to bat and all that, I thought it was going to happen. In, amazingly, that's the thing that happened. The first ball, he got out first ball. And I started theorizing, is this the is funky batting stance a good way of approaching <laughs> Cummins or Star? Because we know that he gets into proper batting stance by the time the bowler delivers the ball. But, you know, I think that, that is a little bit of a disadvantage with these guys screaming in and, you know, with the accuracy that these guys have. I mean, it was insane the way that uh, Stark bowled those three wickets. And special one among those three wickets was Fawad Alam. But I thought the wicket of the innings was how Stark, I mean, Cummins bowled to Rizwan. Yeah. The ball that just left him and then took the edge. Exactly. It was like insane yeah. bowling. Uh, anyway, so if I go about comments and start, this is the podcast. So mm-hmm. I think I think we should move on to the we have, we have to move on to the last innings. Before no, that, I, I no, had a also, question for yeah. both of you. Uh, there was a small passage in play of 97 runs, which riled up a lot more people than the pitch itself, because they were like, "Why didn't you put Pakistan in for the follow-on? Why were Australia batting?" And that got amplified at the end because now 
Pakistan, you know, saved the match by such a small margin. I didn't think that was such a big deal. I was wondering whether if you guys thought that was a big deal. Not at all. No, no. I mean, like there was no point, uh, uh, you know, enforcing the follow-on because eventually, even after the declaration, Australia had 173 overs to bowl out Pakistan. And if you can't bowl a team out in 173, you're not going to do it in 190, as they say. But also, uh, you know, the whole situation of the match, you had to take into consideration because Australia had realized that it's again the 20 to 40 over period, and they weren't going to get that in uh, on that third evening. So it didn't make sense to Chuman enforce the follow-on just to like you know show some bravado, um, and also the uh, Pat Cummins and Mitchell Stark had bowled 23 overs between them in that session. Uh, Lyon had hardly been uh, used, and even Swepson had just bowled a few overs where he took those two wickets. So the fast bowlers were tired, and they're playing playing with two fast bowlers. I wasn't too surprised that uh, you know even though they had a massive lead, it made sense to to bat on. And but I I was watching that. Uh, uh, you know, so he after Stark got Azhar Ali out, like flashing at one. As Fawad Alam was walking out, I was standing next to a Pakistani journalist. And like you, uh, Shoka, we also said, Yorker, he's definitely in swinging Yorker, he's getting out. And either it'll be LBW or bold. And it just like ended up being bold. So it was so obvious you could pick it. Like I think even Fawad Alam, like, uh, like Adam <laughs> yeah, said, I think he, was just, he had a premonition. Yeah, yeah. And the dressing room was right under, uh, like, I almost wanted to shout out and say, point nahi hai, mat ja, I say out on your So, yeah, it would have made more sense. I should have just done that. Yeah, and also one point about the follow-on is, like, teams do it, they take various points into consideration. Like, like Bharat mentioned, the bowlers being tired. Uh, it could have been, the weather could have been really hot as well. They wouldn't have that probably wanted to go out. Also, it was the second test of the series. You want to maintain your bowling attack uh, in shape through the whole series. So, who knows? Maybe if it was the third test, maybe if they were trying to wrap up the victory, you know, they would have gone for it. But, you know, this is a sensible decision. I don't think there's anything majorly scandalous about it. And also, you bat Pakistan out of the match. I mean, of course, Pakistan had an extraordinary batting performance after that. But still, I mean, what were their chances of winning that game? Australia had already batted them out. So, Pakistan's best chance was to draw it. So, I think that's all fine. But yeah, I mean, let's come to that extraordinary performance because, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, that Babar Azam's 196 and not just that, Abdullah Shafiq too in that uh, test match, Rizwan. I mean, there was uh, something surreal about it. And, you know, you as you said, you're waiting for the pitch to break, to do something. But they just, they batted also so well. The, not that the Australians bowled particularly badly. It's that the Pakistanis yeah. batted extraordinarily well. No, no, very much so. And, uh, you know, the Barbar Azam, when you think of Barbar Azam, you think of cover drive and Virat Kohli comparisons and, you know, all the shots he plays. Uh, but the grit and the the commitment you need to bat for that long. And like you said, it was terribly hot. It was extremely hot uh, on all five days. I think it was cloudy maybe for a while on day five. Uh, but the one thing that didn't happen in the second innings was the ball didn't reverse too much. And my theory was... Unlike in the first innings where Pakistan had scored a few runs in the first 20 overs and the ball had traveled on that square quite a bit, here in the first 20, 25 overs, they were just defending, obviously. So the ball hardly left the pitch. So it, I don't think it got scuffed up enough for them to generate that level of reverse swing. And I guess Pakistan are also waiting for that to happen. And they had Abdullah Shafiq, unlike in the first innings where, if you remember, he was run out. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was just... Uh, uh, he looked impenetrable, Barbarazan. Like, you know, and he just kept batting and batting. And 
it really what the innings that put that innings into context is what he did maybe two weeks on from there when he made that 73 ball 100 in the ODI and helped Pakistan reach their uh, highest ever, uh, you know, uh, total target to chase down. So, you think about it, right? He bats for, for, like, he faces 425 balls to help Pakistan bat for more overs than any team has ever batted in a five-day test to save a test. And two weeks later, against the same opposition, okay, different bowling attack, a lesser experience, he hits 173 balls to help them chase down the biggest target ever in 50-over cricket. So, that just tells you the range and why I very... Uh, 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 you know, confidently announced that he is the best all-format batter, uh, but taking yet another risk of saying that about a Pakistani batter. <laughs> why why are you doing this, Bharat? Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Babur, the, the way he batted on day four and Abdullah Shafiq, that drop catch from Steve Smith uh, when what he was uh, on four, before he got to 30, was a big moment in that game. But yeah, I mean, and uh, that's the beauty with Abdullah Shafiq as well. He has all, like, he has every game. He's makes, made his first impact in T20 cricket, where he got 100 in the PSL. Uh, he has all the shots. I think he's already hit seven sixes in test cricket. And yet, he can defend and defend and defend. And yes, the pitch didn't break up. The ball wasn't reversing enough. And you could see, like, the other thing was Nathan Lyon. I mean, you could see the pressure on him building. And, you know, Nathan Lyon had already had four consecutive occasions where he couldn't bowl the opposition out. Uh, if you go back to the India series, in the England series, uh, where, uh, you know, Sydney, where the only test that England saved. So that was weighing on him. And for the first time, I saw Nathan Lyon losing his cool. Like, you know, he was kicking the ground. There was that very cru- very close LBW shot that went against Australia, where just like, I think, 52% of the ball was uh, missing, the, <laughs> missing the stump, or maybe 51.8% was missing the stump. It was that close. And he could see he was uh, every time he walked down to fine leg, he was unhappy with himself. He was unhappy with the world. And uh, I remember Adam and I noticed at the end of the test, he was given the best bowler award. And you know how in India, Pakistan, they have some 95 awards for him. Every player gets an award, right? So ironically, he was given the best bowler award because he took those two, three wickets at the end. Uh, and he he accepted the check. And as he just walked away, he just kind of chucked it away and walked off. Like, so it really was weighing down on him. So I think Australia also started getting more and more desperate as uh, Barbara Azam kept batting. But it was just extraordinary. I mean, we don't get to see those kind of, uh, you know, rearguard efforts these days in test cricket. Not often enough. I mean, Pujara has played a few. Or there's, I think there's this perception that Pujara has played many more knocks like that than he actually has. I mean, he has. But it hasn't done it as often as people assume he has. Uh, but I think that was just, just told you about Babar Azam's range and uh, uh, his, his just love for batting. And the best part is then he goes to Lahore. And I remember seeing him in the, the first net session after that. You batted for 425 balls. And then I see him, he's still worried about his head position and everything. If he's leave, where is, uh, you know, hip is while he's leaving the ball. I said, I mean, after 425 balls, if you still are unsure, it maybe tells you why he's so great or why he's so special. But yeah, credit to Lion also. I mean, sure, he didn't get the reward, but he was giving nothing away. I mean, uh, there was a point uh, when I think Rizwan and Babar were batting and I've, the commentators were speculating maybe they will go for the win, right? But you knew that that was not going to happen because uh, Lion and to an extent even Swepson in later spells, they were giving nothing away and there was no runs to be had whatsoever. And once, I mean, 
that showed why i mean later when babar got out i i i i doubt that even they were thinking that that maybe there is a chance for us to win and they were slightly a little bit more aggressive when you know babar was nearing his 200 but then he got out i thought they'll put the shutters down but no they still started going for it and only when they i think they lost like six or seven six wickets i think then rizwan started feeling the heat and he was like oh shit this things may go wrong here when lions started getting those late wickets they really got a scare there but surprisingly pakistanis were very positive in the chase towards the last and i mean at least approaching the last session they were very positive and that i thought was like oh okay maybe we have a maybe we'll have a result maybe this will be wonderful i but, mean this is like that uh, brisbane test right in 2016 yeah. 17 when they went and uh, made 450 yeah. runs in the final session asad shafiq uh, getting that 100 and yeah they seem to have been in those positions uh, you know before also yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, i think like if not for babar azim that mohammad rizwan innings honestly if you ask me for me it was a greater innings than babar azim the way he came and batted the freedom with which he batted uh in in a situation where you know it was still pakistan uh, looking to draw the game and the leading into the last few overs as well like you know the way he played out the penultimate over of the day where he had to get to 100 and he's stepping out to nathan lyon getting a leading edge almost getting caught in ball and still stepping out once more to like you know drive him for a boundary and reaching his 100 just before uh you know uh, or reaching his 100 of the last ball of the penultimate over with a single which also ensured that he would get to face the face the last over it was just you know we speak about virat kohli babar azam that comparison but i think this rizwan rishabh pant comparison is going to take off uh, very soon it was <laughs> quite a knock and and like you know it's funny adam's not here but we were on commentary and a lot of these at least adam and jeff were being uh you know very Aussie about it man they're going for it man they're going for it we're going to have this dramatic dramatic end they're going for the runches and i was like the cynical tamil mama no 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 draw only draw like yeah i mean it was funny and it was this was happening on air like you know jeff and adam are building up this excitement about how rizwan's going for it because first over after t i think they got 15 runs or something rizwan hit three or four boundaries but that was just a uh just told you a lot about rizwan like you know the way he thinks about cricket if there was a ball to be put away he was batting normally like you know boundary ball or even semi boundary ball he was putting it away but even on air i had to like kind of you know kept uh, poking the balloon like every time they got excited i was like ah, cha, cha, cha. draw 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 they are playing for draw only there is going to be no dramatic matches i think one part of me also was like writing about a draw is at times easier than writing about this dramatic run chase as said you know <laughs> okay okay so uh, rizwan is pant babar is kohli Rohit is uh, Abdullah Shafiq, I think. Um, KL Rahul is Imamul Haq. What? Where? We can just keep continuing. <laughs> our, like this, our podcast is banned. That's it. Done. Uh, I know. Of- and uh, <laughs> then we'll have to talk about the bowlers as well. Like Sahin Shah Afridi is uh, maybe left arm Bumra. Left arm Bumra. True. Yeah. And Nasim Nasim Shah. Nasim Shah can be uh, you know he any of the new. Yeah, like exactly. all these IPL fast bowlers. Yeah, so many. If you can start the third them. test, I can. We can also talk about Nasim Shah being. <laughs> oh <laughs> yes, was, so yes, yeah, let's come really to that. Good. We are. We shouldn't. Uh, you know, uh, we, there was that test as well, which uh, had a result. The only test that had the result. Uh, Lahore, another. You know, again, historic cricket venue. 
uh, completely different from Karachi, I'm sure, Bharat, because when I was there in 2006, I was like, am I in a different country now? I yeah, mean, yeah, what is yeah. this? Of course, I had the reverse experience. I had Lahore first and then Karachi, but oh. you you went the other way. And so, yeah, talk a bit about just uh, uh, Lahore and then building up to the test. Yeah, yeah and, and uh, like that's the whole Karachi, Bombay, Lahore, Delhi comparisons that people make, right? But I found Lahore to be uh, one uh, way more laid back than Delhi and less aspirational. Like, I mean, they like in Karachi, you could see just with all the buildings coming up, I'm sure things have changed since the time you were there. And uh, it, 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 it's in like Bombay in the sense that it's spreading. You can see it's spreading like in terms of buildings coming up everywhere. Right? And a lot of people there told me as well, it's uh, the the one line they used was like it uh, spreading like uh, uh, adrak, like, you know, like a, like the ginger. Uh, fingers yeah. on the hand of a, like, you know, a piece of ginger. Uh, but you go to Lahore, like the first thing you hear is a, uh, this is all old wealth. Like, you know, we depend on our farming. It's all about like, you know, life is very slow here. We are not like Karachi. And that's the first thing you hear. And then uh, a lot more greenery as well, like, which is, I guess, a little bit like Delhi. Some parts of Lahore, I could kind of make out why people say it's like Delhi. But, um, uh, and there are two sides to Lahore, right? Old Lahore is filled with history. So we went to the Lahore fort. We did the only touristy thing we did as a group. Um, and, you know, you see names like Shah Jahan and all. I got to use the name Shah Jahan in a cricket piece. I was so happy. Like, I never thought I'll get to write about Shah Jahan. But all the, because in our history, we are taught so much about the Mughal era. I mean, in Bombay, everything was about how Shivaji, like, kicked butt. But, like, you know, uh, Shivaji versus Aurangzeb was, like, rock versus uh, Austin for us growing up. But, uh, you know, if... This so, is the first to, time this comparison will be ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, at least from third standard to seventh standard, like every year was a WrestleMania between those two. But, um, you know, the history of the place. And I was fortunate enough to then break away from the pack and Bazid Khan, who's a wonderful man and a very good friend of mine, made sure that I got a very desi experience as well. He took me to this truck stop where all the, the, the real people of Pakistan come there and like, you know, just eat what they eat. Uh, like, food from the Northern Belt. Uh, Pete Lawler and I walked the streets of Lahore. Uh, and Pete, Peter has, of course, spent a lot of time in India uh, but before he became a journalist. Uh, so it was like a nice throwback for him as well. I remember going to this place called Lakshmi Chowk and uh, someone recommended he just go walk the streets there. It's beautiful. But then I read about it and it's amazing when uh, you hear that that's where a lot of Indian cinema started, like Mohammad Rafi and those people started their career there. Um, Mother India was made somewhere there allegedly and I, I was walking up and down there was this one old cinema some like an, one of those classic scenes this guy in a salwar kami sitting outside he saw me walk around he asked me to come and uh, he didn't ask me to sit because Peter was there he got a chair for him he got him to sit down uh, which is the flavor of my my tour like you know the hospitality and all was mainly for I was also felt very welcome made to feel very welcome but Nobody asked me for uh, too many selfies and all. It was Jeff Lemon and Mel Farrell and all. And I was generally like, after they would have a debate of who will take the selfie, they would look at me and say, uh, photo lelo. So I must have taken a lot of pictures of these people with <laughs> random people. So, but yeah, we, I 
so this guy just gave us a tour of the cinema and this cinema is like uh, it is called audience cinema where funnily enough in ghatkopur i watched my first ever movie in an audience cinema so like that connect also uh, was there but you know it was um, so you walk inside and everything feels like old lahore feels like it hasn't changed since that era like it's so uh, and he told me this beautiful story that that movie theater i went to was supposed to be launched on 14th august 1947 their independence day but because it was the 27th day of uh, ramzan uh, they had to delay it by 3 days so it like you know kicked off uh, or 3 days later so just so much history to lahore than in karachi karachi is like of course more cosmopolitan and all that um, and even the urdu sounds more like you know much more polished if i could say so uh, with my limited knowledge of the language so it, it had like you said uh, said it has such a different feel to it uh and again then the closeness to india like you're like 409 kilometers that's like uh anglo chennai like in, exactly Anglo-Chin. yeah literally right like yeah, three quarters to the way to goa from bombay like you know, and bombay goa people do all the time so it's it's funny how close you are to india and you can you can sense a, a lot of that as well with our history and like our common history that the two countries share yeah um you spoke about how things were so different but then the match started and then things were the same usman khwaja continues from where he left off uh, steve smith uh, gets gets runs in this test and uh, yeah it's like almost like oh, okay here we go again another five days of batting is that what we're going to see <laughs> but at the same time but at the same time again i mean the, what you see in the scorecard is one thing but then shahin shah afridi and nasim shah i mean there was there was some quality bowling going on there as well it was not as if the australians were just making runs for fun they were really battling it out yeah oh especially nasim shah i mean i thought shahin shah afridi was disappointing during the test series he you could make out that he got a little too desperate for wickets and he was uh, struggling with his lens he was too full throughout uh, like you know uh, if you want to get a little too nuanced with our discussion like he just uh, he would bowl a couple of uh, overs where he was uh, hitting the right lens and then he would start looking for wickets i have never seen a fast bowler bowl so many yorkers uh, in a test series uh, he bowled a lot of yorkers so he became predictable after a point uh, man hasan ali again uh, i don't know why they brought him kept him for the third test uh, he really did let pakistan down but nasim shah because i saw him make his debut at the gaba and he was this stare away um, lost his mother so there was this whole you know emotional side to his story as well but he was all over the shop but here like you know in the first 12 overs he didn't get a wicket but he had only conceded 14 runs he was bowling exactly the length that you needed to bowl on that pitch uh, the hard length as they say which actually the australians kind of then aped beautifully for the rest of that test match um and it wasn't easy going but uh, yeah usman khwaja the one take away from karachi also was how they embraced him uh, he said that you know uh, karachi is the land of the khwajas when he landed and that one moment that will remain with me forever is any as he was walking off after making his 100 in karachi like the whole stadium erupted in like this chant of khwaja khwaja and you know like people talk about chennai and like you know chennai applauding the opposition and all but i've never seen even in india up uh, like uh, maybe with ab de villiers like in later years but the support that some of the australian players got from the uh, pakistani public especially khwaja was next level i've really never witnessed that before and it was similar in lahore like you know and uh, uh, he should have uh, got to 100 in the first innings he didn't uh, and uh, oh no he didn't get to 100 didn't he like it's it's all like mixed up in my head 
Too many 90s and 100s. 90s. Too 90s. many 90s. Yeah. And he did get the second innings hundred, of course. So yeah, he didn't get the first innings hundred. So yeah, and Steve Smith, the the elusive uh, search for that test hundred, like it's been evading him. The whole debate of how he gets to seventy looks okay, and then like you know gets out. But it was all Nasim Shah. I mean, he turned the game around. You thought uh, with the way he bowled, because at one point, yeah, you're right. It looked like Australia is going to bat for three days again. But that Nasim Shah spell. Uh, and Shaheen later in the day, uh, they really brought the game back uh, to uh, uh, to parity. And then you started getting a feeling that, yes, we will get a result in this test match. Oh, yeah, the, especially Nasim Shah's ball to Cameroon Green. That oh, one yeah. that came in. Oh, shit. I was like, oh, something's happening here. <laughs> and and yeah. this was Cameron Green batting on 79. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. Not, it, it, exactly. It's not like a new batsman there. Yeah, so... Definitely, but but they are talking about you know uh, the way it, it this was uh, in a way the game the game switching so quickly right I mean it happened in the first innings and then it happened again in the second innings almost like uh, you know a repeat of uh, Karachi in some ways but also not a repeat because the the, the it wasn't reverse swing this time but it was just like uh, high quality Cummins Stark just bowling I mean Pakistan were what I'm looking at the scorecard yeah. they were. Uh, I think uh, 214 when Azhar Ali fell. That's 214 for two. And then Azhar Ali gets caught and bowled to that magnificent catch. Yeah. I mean, wha- what was that catch even? Where did it come from? How does one even take such a catch? I mean, this is like, uh, you know, hashtag what can't Cummins do, right? I mean, yeah, it's like, literally. that's it. I mean, he's a uh, demigod there. But then 214 for two, two like 268 all out. I mean, that was just chaos at that point. Yeah, and Pakistan looked in such control that uh, I remember saying on air that at this point, the only way we'll see a result is if Pakistan makes 700 or 600 and Australia are put under pressure. And you already started thinking about, I was actually getting excited about covering a nil all like series, which and not in a negative sense. I'd never covered that in my life. So I was getting excited about how you would write about a 0-0 series result. And you're absolutely right. They looked in complete control and such uh, like a lovely story about Azhar Ali playing his first test match in Lahore after, I think, I, I don't remember the number now. So 15,600 balls he'd faced in test cricket before playing his first ball in front of his... Uh, family his kids have grown up now you could see them uh, at one point he actually got distracted by his kids while he was taking strike uh, and you know test cricket coming back to lahore like karachi rawalpindi had seen some some test cricket but lahore hadn't seen anything since the 2009 attack and i remember every time we went drove around that liberty circle uh, it was surreal like you know in the first couple of days it was just natural for all of us journalists to ask the driver where the the terrorists were positioned and what happened exactly. Uh, so, you know, you felt guilty asking these questions, but you just had to. So, yeah, and then it just looked like Azhar Ali would get to that 100 and it would be just about um, all Pakistan from there. And then, like like you said, said like that's the beauty of Pat Cummins. I don't know how he does it, like, but he's done it so many times. He just... Uh, even in that series against India, you almost felt that it was Cummins versus India in, in Brisbane when they chased that total down. Uh, and yeah, I mean, he just produces that catch. Um, and, and and yeah, and again, the, uh, his bowling changes, like the way he uses him just tells you why I think there should be more fast bowling captains. I mean, yesterday on some show, I said there was this whole thing of who should be India's next test captain after Rohit and all that. I said, it has to be Bumrah. I mean, there's no, there should be no debate because that's the one thing and we'll talk about it as we get into day five here as well. Having a fast bowling captain, even during the ashes, uh, the that whole point of seizing the moment, like 
you can only do it if you are yourself in a position to do it. It's one thing a captain throwing a ball to someone, but here if you can do it yourself and you are Pat Cummins with those amazing low eyes, you can do anything. And like that's what he they needed that one breakthrough. He got it, and I thought he captained the side beautifully. He said that fifteen. This is a fifteen-day test, and uh, every time there was if there was no moment to be seized, he would create one like that one Azhar Ali. And then again, going to Stark at the right time, and Rizwan came out to bat. I mean, Fawad Alam again. You know, he just walks out and he Starks. Uh, you can see that uh, Stark would like not just start warming up. He would start. He would at times want to start bowling mid over if someone else is bowling. With Fawad Alam would walk out. So that's how uh, uh, obvious it felt that he would get him out. And that ball he bowled to Rizwan, like you know, it was very. Not as dramatic as the one to James wins because this isn't the Ashes, and when it is not the Ashes, as we know, it doesn't get talked up as much. But it was as good a delivery. Mitchell Stark around the wicket, um, almost Wasim Akram-esque, like you know the way he gets Rizwan out. But the moment he does that, Pat Cummins, you could see from the other end, immediately come into the attack, um, and that yeah, I mean uh, maybe not as uh, exciting as the first innings in Karachi, but if anything more impactful, like the way they yeah. bowled out, uh, rolled I, over. I, Yeah, I would say this is more a collapse because 214 for two, you're not expecting much to happen, and then 260 all out, 260 yeah. to 270 all out. So, Karachi at least you can you can expect like 60 for three, 60 for four, 148 is not that big yeah. of a surprise. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and also talking about captaincy, right? I mean, we are living in the bowling era, so you know more of a reason why bowlers should be captains more because. uh the conditions are favoring them they are uh, best equipped to judge the conditions and like yeah. in karachi i mean nathan lyon gets the wicket of imam but cummins immediately senses the river swing yeah. going on here and he brings on stark and you exactly. know that's like automatic a bowler is thinking on his feet and he's bringing that on so i yeah bumrah uh, all power to bumrah to be next captain the and, other and thing also, of course uh, yeah. yeah no no sorry and also like uh, when you are the strike bowler and you are captain you know more about your body than any captain ever any will ever can right like so you know how many overs you have left in you you know whether you can bowl that one extra over and uh, uh, that happened like you know i think maybe it was that azhar ali wicket or no i think it was uh, in uh, with mitchell stark correct before he got rizwan out you could see that uh, uh, stark had finished his spell and then pat comments had uh, asked cam green to continue no in fact i'll tell you exactly when it was it was babar azam again he was batting beautifully babar azam looked set for 100 in that first innings um and then you could see that uh, uh, they they'd got all those wickets and stark spell was over and he had asked cameron green to warm up um but then pat comments gets uh, sajid khan out and immediately he runs to cam green and says i'm sorry Stark needs to bowl one more over, and that's the over where he gets Babar Azam out completely, like you know, derailing them. And only a fast bowling captain can do that, or a bowling captain can do that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one point though, I needed to bring up when you mentioned the Liberty Circle and the Lahore terrorist attack and things. I mean, what a poignant story of the umpire, you know, oh. Hasan Raza, who was there on that day when the terrorist attack happened. He was in the bus. He was, you know, he had he had been shot at. He was bleeding. uh and uh, he had to have uh, surgery there was he was his life was in such danger and then all these years later he gets to umpire in a game in lahore and i'm sure he would have had to drive through that whole region as well and imagine the things that were going through his head when he had to do it i mean what a what a remarkable story that was 
Yeah, and, and you know the thing about Ehsan Raza is like, uh, uh, for, unfortunately, I couldn't get to meet him because they're all part of the bubble. But Simon Katic, who was doing commentary with us, did, and he was uh, he was amazed by he was almost astonished that when uh, you know uh, very kind of sheepishly asked Ehsan Raza about what it felt like for him to come back. Not only did Ehsan Raza, like you know, with a big smile on his face, talk about how special a moment it was. Well, he lifted his shirt and he showed him like scars of that wound because, like you said, I think one of his lungs were punctured and he could have easily lost yeah. his life. And uh, you know, he was just a reserve umpire back then, like you know, 13 years ago. So he showed his wounds, and uh, you know, Simon wasn't sure if that's his personality or like you know, when you have that kind of a life-threatening. Uh, or life and death situation in your life, which very few people do, uh, maybe it just changes your perspective towards life, right? You start appreciating life a lot more. And uh, speaking to people, he is that kind of uh, larger-than-life character, or like some, a fun-loving kind of guy. And I remember watching him the day before the test, uh, where Usman Khawaja was just uh, walking back and uh, Asan Raza was walking into the Alim Dar uh, <laughs> umpire's room. And like I think one of the one... If for all the things that I did on this tour, like my greatest achievement was taking a picture of Alimdar, taking a picture of the Alimdar umpire's room, which I tweeted out. <laughs> I, I waited for that moment. I was just, I just wanted to take a picture of Alimdar walking in, but he made it even better for me by actually standing there and taking a picture. But anyway, I remember Kawaja and Esan Raza meeting and uh, I couldn't totally pick up what it was about, but I mean, what he was saying, but it was about that Lahore attack. And, uh, uh, you know, it's it's funny how once you experience something like that, you can talk very openly about what had happened. Yeah. And every day, like you said, he had to go past that same circle to come in. Uh, yeah. And now as a test umpire, and he had a very good test as well. Like, you know, even stuff like picking out things like the batsman or the batter, uh, getting into the danger area. I mean, these are things as a young umpire I get excited about. So to see someone do that in a test match and actually pull up the senior umpire and say, like, you know, this uh, like this needs to be looked at, uh, says a lot about him as an umpire. And uh, it was so uh, uh, also poetic that the first, uh, like, you know, major event in that game was Esan Raza getting an LBW right. Like, you know, it just kind of added that bit of extra drama to it. Had to had to happen. Like a, it's almost completed a loop. Um, yeah. So which uh, brings us to the final day of the series. Pakistan chasing three fifty one. They start. They end the day. End day four on seventy three for no loss. And going by what we had seen in Karachi, who knows? I mean, you know, another couple of good partnerships. Uh, Babar Azam, Rizwan, uh, Shafiq, Abdullah. You never know what could happen. And uh, it it took. Quite a bowling performance from Lyon and Cummins and the rest, and even Stark, I would say, to uh, wrap that win up. I think Pakistan lost a bit of a plot in when they were bowling second. They could have, you know, uh, bowled a little more tight. They just lost their plot completely. They were waiting for declaration, and Australia just made 220 very, very quickly. And that because that was day four, I think Pakistan would have had a good chance if they had, you know, at least bowled proper line and length so they could have delayed the declaration till early day 5. They gave Australia like a 100 overs. Granted, they were 73 for no loss but then still, you know, that was the one place where they really, really lost the test match. I think till then at least there was hope that something would happen like Barber would come back and do part 2 of his innings or whatnot because there was lesser time than test 2. 
Yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree, but also just pretty bold declaration because again, the pitch wasn't like breaking up. There were some cracks, a few more cracks than in Karachi, uh, and the rough spots. Uh, you know, especially the way Nathan Lyon bowled in the latter half of his first innings, uh, where he started giving the ball a lot more loop, and they had silly point. You could see that the spinners will maybe come into the game a lot more than they did in Karachi, but still, uh, you know, three uh, fifty runs. Uh, you thought that uh, Pakistan could chase it down, uh, or like you know, whatever the target was set. So it was. I still think a pretty bold declaration, and again, just an ode to Cummins' captaincy. Like whatever he said, they would do before the tour began. Like the whole 15-day test thing, or the fact that he said that there will be sessions where uh, the run scoring will be very slow. Like you know, it will come down to us having to initiate, uh, you know, match-turning situations. Uh, and playing the long game, like you know, you say all this, but he actually stuck to it till the very end. Uh, and I think that's what eventually won Australia that test. Like to take ten wickets, you still felt at one point that maybe Pakistan would. Uh, I still thought it was a tall uh, order on that pitch. It was because it was slow for them to get a move on and like risk, uh, you know, getting to that target uh, and losing the series uh, in a decider. But uh, it really Australia bowled them out rather than Pakistan getting themselves out on that final day. So the the final moment, I mean, of course, it had to be Cummins. Uh, yeah, it had I mean, they, it would have been it wouldn't have been apt otherwise. Uh, so were, were you in commentary? Were you in the press box? How was the feeling? Yeah, just the fact that you were present when first of all Australia won a series in Pakistan after playing there for so long, and you were you were there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I just missed being on air because Wakar Yunus and uh, Adam Collins were on air. And I guess it's 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 only apt that Wakar Yunus was on air and not me when the match finished. Uh, uh, so, yeah. And funnily enough, Cummins gave Swepson one over, like, you know, with uh, just Naseem Shah left. And he had six balls at Naseem Shah. Uh, so, again, it says a lot about Pat Cummins, the captain. He hadn't gone to Swepson at all. He bowled only eight overs in that innings, I think. But he gave him that one over just to see if, like, you know, uh, Benor Kadir trophy ends with the leg spinner taking a wicket. Maybe that was his thought process. But once Swepsons didn't take a wicket in that over, you just knew it had to end with Cummins. And the fact that in a pitch, uh, in a series which was all about slow pitches and batting, the last image of that series would be two stumps just like blown off <laughs> and Pat Cummins. Off stump and leg stump, that too. Off stump and leg stump, which we rarely see happen these days, like, you know, cartwheeling stumps. But on the slowest of the three slow pitches, for him to do that, uh, it had to win. It took him one ball. Like, it, it, just, just, it just summed up Pat Cummins, the man, the series, the moment. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it was quite something. I mean, now I've gotten used to seeing Australia win at home, like, at least when India is not touring. But uh, And I was there when they retained the Ashes in Manchester, which... In an Ashes context, is as good as winning and seeing their celebration there. But this was a different kind of celebration. Um, so as soon, of course, they celebrated, they got into a huddle and all that. But immediately there were smiles and hugs with the Pakistani players. And even as they were walking off, I saw Steve Smith and uh, I couldn't make out the other Australian player walk towards the, the most packed stand next to their dressing room and sign pictures and like, you know, uh, T-shirts and shoes and all that. They spent two minutes doing that before they entered their own dressing room. It kind of summed up the whole uh, uh, born homie in the series, which you expected, but 
it was of another level. Like, you know, we've seen uh, Pakistan being very hospitable when you guys went in. I've heard a lot of stories from uh, your colleagues from that era. But this was just something different. Like, yeah, and then immediately, uh, of course, maybe they didn't have beers to drink for good, <laughs> obvious reasons in the dressing room. But, uh, you know, it wasn't like Australia getting together and singing the team song there. They, in fact, like went to the Pakistan dressing room. You could see uh, uh, David Warner and Shaheen of really best friends sitting together, Manas Labushin and Rizwan sitting together, and all these young Pakistani cricketers in that mix just standing in awe and watching these big names talk with each other. So that really like put the test series into perspective, but also, I mean, the... the uh, the way Australia played, it just told you it's a, it's a different Australia. I mean, not just in terms of yes, whether they've gone soft or not. Someone asked me yesterday on some show. I don't think it's about them going soft, but it's just them being less desperate to win. And that's what really won them the series in the end. Yeah, I think. Uh, and also, Cummins had a lot riding on this, right? As with all the the controversy over Justin Langer yeah. before the tour, the statement that he put out. And so, so for him also, it's like a personal triumph. I mean, you go there, you lead the side. You sort of you end up being the better team. I mean, uh, I don't know what uh, Babar Azam was talking about when he said we dominated two tests. I think he was talking about some previous series uh, <laughs> because they, Pakistan definitely did not dominate two tests in this series. Uh, Australia were the ones who dominated uh, both uh, Karachi and Lahore, and it was fitting that uh, they ended up as the winning side. All right. So uh, yeah, um, we won't. Uh, I mean, we are running out of time here, and we won't get too detailed into the one-day uh, series and the T20. But uh, Bharat, yeah, closing thoughts. Uh, spent uh, all this time in Pakistan on this tour, and uh, you know, thoughts about both the cricket as well as the experience in general. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'll just say this: it just fizzled out. Like I was one of, one of just three journalists to stay back for the one day one day as in the T20. But uh, it was actually a pretty good one-day series. Like, you know, we saw some very good uh, matches, like 50-over cricket, exciting 50-over cricket. But, yeah, they uh, chased 350 that, in that game, right? Something. Yeah, and that was, a, <laughs> like, yeah, in the second uh, game and Babar Azam again, like I said earlier, 73 ball, yeah. 100, batted beautifully. But, uh, yeah, you could see the energy had, like, I think the people were just a little tired as well. Like, you know, the whole being excited for 15 straight days, even though Rahul Pindi was a dull test. Uh, and then that one-day series. And by the time we reached the T20, I think everybody was like, you know, uh, almost like not just one one leg, but like, you know, uh, half their body was on the flight back home. And I, for, for me, for sure, it, it was kind of tiring being in the same city. What The political turmoil in Pakistan at that point. So the whole one day leg was shifted from Islamabad to Lahore. So just being in the same hotel, like, you know, with all the security for three weeks. I don't know how the players deal with it. Honestly, I have so much respect for them and how they deal with bubbles. But uh, no, I mean, overall, it was... Uh, yeah, I think the most uh, 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 high, the word gets used a lot, so I won't say surreal, but it was an unreal kind of uh, mix. Maybe it uh, means the same, but it was unreal. Like you know, because I never ever imagined myself going to Pakistan. Like you know, uh, fifteen years I've been doing this. Uh, I thought it'll always evade me. Like I've even been to Zimbabwe now. So like you know, I thought I never thought I'll go to Zimbabwe. But once that happened, I was like. Yeah, I wish I'd started a little earlier. I would have gone Pakistan also. And not to, like, you know, not as a box to take, but just to um, once and for all, like, get rid of the curiosity of what is it like across the border. And uh, I can tell you, it's just a lot of it is a lot like, you know, what we get in India, uh, but it is different. And I, I, I mean, I might sound a little, uh, like, a little soak here, but you do get a feeling at some point, you just have that uh, 
feeling if only the british hadn't invaded us <laughs> like if only we were allowed to be one country like you know and not just for cricketing reasons there's so much uh, uh, we could have achieved as as one nation and again like i said uh, 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 to all our indian listeners seriously i'm telling you the pakistanis don't care as much about us as we seem to do about them and in a negative sense i'm saying i'm sure it's not going to change perceptions over time and i'm not even talking about social media but if you do get a chance to meet a pakistani if you live in india and or if hopefully um, you know someday you get to visit there make the most of it i just it's just a pity that i couldn't go to the other parts of pakistan hopefully someday i get to do that but with an australian passport <laughs> absolutely yeah i'll uh, sort of raise your jealousy a bit by saying that i have been to peshawar in uh, mm. 2006 which uh, you know i when i think of even today i'm like how the hell did that happen and exactly, will yeah. will will i ever get to go to that part of the world again i doubt it but i hope that is not the case but yes i mean any any kind of people to people interaction just completely alters your attitude about any place right i mean whether it's america or england or australia just going there and meeting somebody there and chatting to them over a period over a half an hour 10 minutes even begin to realize i mean there is uh, the the what the perception that you have in your head and the reality that you are actually experiencing are two vastly different things and how i mean it's not to say that the perception is entirely incorrect but there are a yeah. lo- lot of gaps in your understanding that you can easily overcome with this uh, talking to somebody so yeah i mean um, having said that yeah more to uh, more Uh, here's more to tours to pakistan cricket tours to pakistan uh, teams going there and playing there uh, crowds uh, there enjoying cricket uh, seeing high quality players come through and play and yeah at some point of time if uh, you know we can see more of india pakistan cricket in non neutral venues then uh, nothing like it but uh, yeah i'm not holding my breath on that for the moment <laughs> Okay man okay thanks bharat thanks ashoka uh, this was great and uh, yeah as ever Uh, rate review the podcast uh, check out our website uh, recommended to people we are also publishing republishing books these days so war minus the shooting uh, available on um, amazon and various other platforms i'll put the link out there and uh, yeah hoping to publish another book soon and also hoping to see you in another podcast soon so, thank you bharat thanks a lot india have won the test match india have won the series they're going to get back for two india